This morning, God's Word comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 27. We're going to begin our reading at verse 45 and then read just through verse 50. Matthew 27, beginning at verse 45. What we hear now is God's word. Now, from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders, hearing it, said, This man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, Wait, let's see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. Well, this morning in our study of Jesus' last words from the cross, we are up to that fourth word which he spoke, Uh, looking at these words to help to prepare our hearts to commemorate his suffering and death this coming Good Friday night and to celebrate his victory next Sunday Easter morning. We have this word, this fourth word, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As we look at, at this word, there's a couple particular things we notice. One is, this is the only word from the cross that is recorded in two different Gospels. Both Matthew and Mark record this fourth word for us. It is the only word recorded twice for us. Luke gives us three of Christ's last words. John gives us three of Christ's last words. But this word, this word recorded for us twice. And it is the only time in the Synoptic Gospels when Jesus addresses God without calling Him Father. It is a word of agony. A word of called out as he hung there on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? A word that speaks of the extent of the suffering that Jesus underwent as he hung there on the cross. And a word that reminds us, he underwent this torment, he underwent this agony, that we might never have to go through it ourselves. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is a word that is surrounded by darkness. We read in verse 45, now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. Kids, the sixth hour that Matthew talks about is noon and the ninth hour is three o'clock in the afternoon. From noon 
until three o'clock, there was darkness. When the sun should have been shining at its brightest. Remember, they're in the desert. This is the heat of the day. And yet this word spoken and surrounded by darkness. This was no anomaly of nature. This was no eclipse taking place. This was a, a darkness that was a prophetic darkness. Uh, perhaps later this afternoon, you'll turn to the prophet Amos. And we read this in Amos chapter 8. When describing the day of God's judgment, on that day, declares the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. Amos describing the coming judgment of God. There will be darkness at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. That's what's going on. The judgment, the punishment of God being poured out, being poured out upon Jesus Christ as He hung there on the cross. Amos goes on, I will turn your feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on every waist and baldness on every head. I will make it like the mourning for an only son and the end of it like a bitter day. It will be like the mourning for an only son. Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, hanging there on the cross, and God pouring out the fullness of His judgment against all the sins of the world on Him. He taking the full judgment of God, and it rings from Him this cry, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Surrounded by darkness. Kids, I bet you can think of another time that God sent darkness. If you think about when God sent the ten plagues to bring His people out of Egypt, that ninth plague, God sent three days, not just three hours, three days of darkness. And we read in Exodus chapter 10, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. They did not see one another nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. A darkness that could be felt. A darkness on the people of Egypt. Yet what does they say? But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. God pours out the punishment of darkness, yet for His people, they are allowed to live in the light. The wrath of God poured out on Christ. Him taking all of the punishment for our sins that we might live. That we might enjoy the light of God's countenance. Remember kids, what happened after that ninth plague of darkness? 
It was the tenth plague, the death of the firstborn. Here we have God's firstborn son hanging there on the cross in the midst of darkness, and, and he will undergo death, the death of the firstborn, and he will cry out in agony, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Agony for him, darkness for him, and yet blessing for us. A word surrounded by darkness. A word that was scorned by those who heard it. We read in verse 46, And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out in a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders, hearing it, said, This man is calling Elijah. Now, they did not misunderstand what Jesus said. Maybe to us it seems like hearing Eli would sound like Elijah. That's because we are English speakers. They look the same to us. Uh, they were speaking Hebrew. They were speaking Aramaic. They knew exactly what he was saying. This was not a misunderstanding of his words. This was a mocking of his words. He said, my God... And they say, God won't hear you. God won't hear you, but maybe, maybe, maybe Elijah will come instead and he'll hear you. You recall the, the prophet Elijah was, uh, was to be the forerunner of the Messiah. He was to come before the one who would redeem God's people. And they say, you know, you claim to be the Messiah. Maybe, maybe the forerunner will come. Maybe Elijah will come and he'll, he'll take you down from this cross. He will hear your cry. Not my God, but simply Elijah. They mocked him in this fourth word from the cross. But not all. Not all mocked him. We read in verse 48. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink. Many mocked. Many jeered. But one of them wanted to, to relieve Jesus' suffering. One of them wanted to, to relieve his thirst. And does this, this, this gesture of compassion and goes to get something for him to drink. The others say, no, no, let's wait and see whether Elijah comes. Still mocking him. These two responses to the death of Jesus. The response of the crowd. The response of mocking Oh, you call for God. Maybe, maybe Elijah will come instead. Let's see if Elijah shows up. Or the response of a softened heart. A response of compassion. A response of pity. We looked this morning at the story of Jesus hanging on the cross. 
This terrible word of agony, taking the judgment of God, being poured out upon him. How do we respond to this story today? These two responses are still the only two responses to Christ. Do we say, interesting story, could have happened, maybe, maybe not, but, but ultimately failing to believe. Failing to believe that, that He is who He says He is. Or a heart, a heart that is broken when seeing the extreme suffering and agony to which He would go for the sake of His people. These two responses to mock Him or to embrace Him. Now, I know that there's none of us here who would, who would openly say, oh, we mock Jesus. We don't care about Jesus. We wouldn't say those words. How, how, is, how is Jesus mocked today? He's mocked when, when we fail to embrace the full significance of what He's done. When we fail to recognize He did this for us, and because of that, we now need to live in a particular way. We need to live in a way that shows Him our gratitude, our thankfulness. Jesus is mocked when we live as if the crucifixion never took place. When we live as if we are free to do whatever we want, living out of our own desires, that is to mock Christ, to take His word and to twist His word. Oh, not my God, but something else. We mock when we fail to, to with wholehearted devotion see this, this fourth word for what it is. A word of agony spoken for us. God calls you this morning to, to embrace this Jesus Christ, this one hanging on the cross, <clears throat> this one calling out my God, to embrace Him as your Lord, as your Savior, as the one who did all of this for you, that you might have hope, that you might have assurance, that you might have confidence found in Jesus Christ alone. Do not mock. Do not mock by, by ignoring the story, by acting as if it didn't take place, but with wholehearted devotion embrace Jesus Christ. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is a word of agony. But it is not in the end, finally, a word only of despair. But even in this fourth word from the cross, this word recorded for us twice, there are still the latent seeds of hope in this word that Jesus speaks. I said earlier that it is here where he does not address God as Father. But notice also, he does not say, Oh God, why have you forsaken me? Even in this agony, he still says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
This word of agony from the cross still recognizes in the pain and torment of the crucifixion, God is still in control. God is still working His purposes out. And Jesus, in this fourth word from the cross, takes the words of Psalm 22 on His own lips. I've said before, Jesus knew the Psalter well. He could quote it well. And he takes these words of Psalm 22, verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There has been much ink spilled to try to understand this word, how can God forsake God? How can God forsake himself? I was sitting in a church one time and the, the minister said, God never forsake the Son. It could never happen. God can't forsake himself. To be sure, it's a difficult word to understand. God in his uh, ontological being, of course, can't reject himself. But God, God the Father gave the Son a work to do. And in that work... There is a difference we see between the Father and the Son. To, to try to get a handle on this word, how do we understand, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There is a Reformed commentator named Hendrickson. Some of you may know that commentary series. And he gives a beautiful analogy as to, as to what is going on here. Now, Hendrickson... Uh, quickly acknowledges any analogy about God will break down at some point. But he says that this gives us a little bit of a, of, a, of a partial insight into what is happening here. Why have you forsaken me? Hendrickson tells this story. Imagine a child. A child who has a terrible disease a child who has to be brought into the hospital, a child who is in the ICU, and uh, even his uh, parents are not able to be there to comfort him, to be near to him. The child knows his parents care about him. The child knows his parents love him. But as he is alone in the ICU, in the middle of the night, and the pain of the disease racks his body. He says, why, why have my parents forsaken me? That's something of what we see going on here. The father had given the son a task to do, and e even as the son completes that task, hanging there on the cross, calling out this word of agony. At this time, at this time, the Father chooses not to hear that cry. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet in being forsaken by the Father, it is so that we might never be forsaken. We deserved. We deserved the wrath of God. But Jesus takes that punishment. 
Jesus takes, takes the, the forsakenness of God that we might be received by the Father, counted as His children. I've often thought, why, why does Jesus take Psalm 22 on his lips? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It seems to me Psalm 88 would have been more appropriate. Because in Psalm 88 we read this, O Lord, I cry to you. In the morning my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My compassions have become darkness. It seems like Psalm 88 would have been a fitting psalm for Jesus to quote from the cross. And yet he quotes Psalm 22. Rather than the extreme despair of Psalm 88, he quotes Psalm 22, which gives hope. Yes, Psalm 22 begins, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far off from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but find no rest. Yes, that's appropriate. But what's the very next thing it says? Yet, yet, you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. Jesus knew the Psalter well. He quotes the first verse of Psalm 22, knowing very well the rest of the psalm. That yes, he is at this time experiencing the wrath of God poured out, but there is hope. There is assurance. God rescues those who are his own. Oh, he would go through the pains and agonies of death, but that would not be the end. The Holy One of Israel would restore his son, would raise him up on that third day. God was still working his plan out, even in the midst of this darkness, even in the midst of this agony. This word of hope, this word of assurance for us. Christ went to the cross, did absolutely everything necessary to take all the punishment on Himself that we might have the blessing, that we might have light, that we might have life. Sometimes we begin to wonder, is God still in control? I'm going through darkness right now. I'm going through difficulty. Is God still there? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yet you are enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were rescued. They trusted and were not put to shame. If you are going through difficulty, through hardship, wondering if perhaps God has forsaken you, don't take Psalm 88 on your lips. But take Psalm 22, 
with this, with this latent word of hope and assurance that God is still in control, caring for his people. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This word of agony for Christ is a word of hope for us. That he underwent the darkness that we could live in light. He took the agony that we could know peace. He was forsaken by God that we might be received by him forever. A difficult word, a hard word, but a word that was spoken that we might have the assurance of our salvation in the completed work of Jesus Christ. Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, how do we begin to understand what was going on on the cross on that day? Your wrath against sin being poured out on your Son. A wrath so great that he would call out in agony, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet still knowing, trusting, being assured that you are the Holy One of Israel. Lord God, may this glorious word encourage us, strengthen us, be a blessing to us, to give us the assurance of salvation and the sure knowledge that in spite of all we might see around us, you are in control and you are working your perfect purposes out. Lord God, hear our prayer for Jesus' sake. Amen.